Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoven. Hey there, welcome to episode three of the Bible Q&A Podcast. You know what, Eric, this is the longest running podcast series in the history of you and me doing podcasts together. <laughs> that is a great observation, Tim. That's very yeah, true. that's pretty amazing. That's what you. That's why you joined me in this, right? My skills of observation. Well, we do have some great questions, Tim, on the podcast today. And as always, if you guys have questions, just send them in to bqa at creationtoday.org. bqa at creationtoday.org. We're going to talk about the question. We're going to answer the question, are there secular writings about Jesus? A lot of people ask that kind of question. And what do we have outside of scripture that that coincides or or confirms what the Bible says? Uh, What about the woman caught in adultery? Should that actually be in the Bible, in the canon of scripture or not? So Tim, you ready to tackle these? I hope so. Let's let's find out. I love this first question because it's one that I've been asked many times as I speak. An atheist often asks this question when I ask them, are they sure they're right? You know, do they know they're right? And they often ask this question. Here's the first question we'll start with. Is there anything that would cause you to deny your trust in the Bible and or the Christian faith? So, Tim, is there anything that would cause you to deny your trust in the Bible and or the Christian faith? What do you think? I think that's a good question, actually. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it, I, I think, um, let, let's look at some of the possible options. I think a lot of Christians would, uh, especially some conservative Christians, uh, would instantly just say no. You know, yeah. the, the, the Bible says it, that settles it. There's, a, there, there's nothing you can do that will cause me to doubt or question or... Uh, so no, there's nothing that would cause me to deny my my trust that the Bible is inerrant, or even to deny the Christian faith. Um, I think some people would say uh, no, but for a different reason. I think that they they don't really care whether the Bible is accurate or not, and <laughs> they just know that God has changed their life in a powerful way, mm-hmm. and and so they're going to trust Him uh, no matter what, even if scientists have shown there to be errors in the Bible or, or other things that, that there's just some people who are going to trust no matter what, because they, they understand, they know Christ is alive within them and he's changed their life. Uh, in fact, I've heard that from people before. Uh, my answer would be a little bit different than that. Because I, I'm, I'm real curious what you're going to say here, Tim, because I'm thinking of a verse right now that I want to bring up and okay. I kind of want to hear your answer first. And then I want to bring this up and hear oh. your <laughs> response to this verse after you Give okay. your answer. So you, you got a gotcha question or moment. No, I don't me. know. I don't know. No, I'm here. I'm here learning. So I'm here asking. I'm going, okay, I'm thinking of one particular passage that I go, oh, okay, how would we... Anyway, I want to hear what you have to say first, though. Okay. Well, I think there's two things at play here. I mean, the question is to deny your trust in the Bible and or the Christian faith. Um, I think there's two separate things to talk about there. Obviously, That's they're very closely related, but you can... Uh, believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the Christian faith, and not necessarily have a 100% complete trust in the Bible. I think you're being inconsistent, but I, but certainly you can, it's logically possible to have that. But my answer is a little bit, uh, maybe more, a little more subtle than the first one, you know, where people say, no, there's nothing, um, because the Bible says it, that settles it. I would say, um, to 
turn a phrase here or just change the phrase a little bit. Uh, what was it? Jerry Maguire said, show me the, show me the money. Um, show me the body. (laughs) (laughs) Show me the body. If you've got the body of Jesus, you can prove that he did not rise from the dead. Yeah. Christianity crumbles and, uh, there, there's no reason for me to be, uh, proclaiming the Christian faith and, and, and following Jesus because he would be a, he would be a fake. He, he wouldn't be real. So if, that's if you a good can, point. Yeah, that you, brings up, I think of the passages where Paul uh, actually makes that very clear, right? Yeah. First Corinthians 15, 12 through yeah. 21, he talks about how if, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. So that's really what I'm saying is that our, our faith is in vain, that we are uh, to be pitied more than all people, that we're still in our sins. So yeah, if he didn't rise from the dead, if you can show me the body, then then, you know, Christianity uh, is a false faith. But here's the thing, you can't, because he did rise from the dead. Uh, and we know he rose from the dead, not only because we have an, an abundant amount of evidence that, Eric, you and I covered in the Risen Without a Doubt um, series. Love that series. It was so fun to go through there and hear all this and learn all this. Yeah, and but more than that, it, it does really come back to God's Word tells us he rose from the dead. Yeah. We know he did. So... Yeah, in a sense, I'm kind of like the first one where I would say no because the Bible tells us, but it ultimately it comes back to this event of Christ dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. That, uh, you know, we're probably going to step into it a little bit. There's there's controversy over this right now in the church, isn't there? Um, there is. Because uh, Andy Stanley, who was a popular uh, pastor, has said something similar where, he, you know, he says that, I don't. I'm not going to quote him verbatim here, and I don't really want to get into this issue too much. But just the that the the foundation of the Christian faith is not the Bible, but the it's an event, the resurrection. And there's when when he says things like that, it sets a lot of Christians on edge, and, and it it rubs rubs people the wrong way. It, there's a degree in which he's right, or there, you know, to, to some level, he's right there um, in that the the Christian faith is rooted and grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, not necessarily do we have an inerrant, inspired book. But it doesn't have to be an either-or. <laughs> it's a both-and. We, we have both those things, the person and work of Christ, and we have his word, which is inerrant, in, infallible, and inspired. So um, I, I think too often people try to make it an either-or. Um, and, and I don't know that he's even doing that as much as he's just by the way he says certain things sometimes, it sounds like he's de-emphasizing, uh, de-emphasizing Scripture while, I think, rightly elevating the the crucifixion and resurrection. But I think sometimes he says things a little loosely or maybe a lot loosely, and he should be a little more concerned, a little more careful with how he words things because a lot of people listen to him, and, and we have a responsibility to be careful with our words. You know, it's interesting you bring him up and his book up. It's called a uh, new book called Irresistible. I just downloaded that because I wanted to find out for myself what he was saying here. I teach on apologetics and I I really I really believe that a huge stumbling block today is people saying, well, you can't trust the Bible because science has disproven the Bible and science has disproven uh, everything from uh, the, the, the flood, the creation account, the flood, uh, the, the, the Egyptians, uh, the... the the Jews being in, in Egypt, you know, the Joseph and all these different events, the walls of Jericho. And, I, and I'm sitting here going, I, I go talk about these things and, and I, want, I don't want them to be a stumbling block. So I'm sharing with people, here's what the truth is. The truth is 
No, the evidence shows from science the world was created. The evidence shows from science there really was a flood. The evidence shows that, you know, uh, uh, Exodus patterns of evidence did a great job showing, no, they, they really were in Egypt and the walls of Jericho really did fall down and they fell out. And so I'm looking at all this evidence. And so anyway, I downloaded his book uh, two days ago and I read the whole thing. I had to go all the way through it, 24 chapters. Uh, I just, I went, okay, I <laughs> that's really probably the longest book. what he's saying. That's the longest book you've ever read, isn't it? <laughs> I wasn't going to tell anybody that right here on the podcast, but uh, since this is only the third podcast and we only have one listener, it's my mom. Okay. I think that's okay that my mom knows that. Yes, 24 <laughs> chapters, mom. Woo! All right, thanks, Mom Hoven, for, being, for hanging in there for three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> there were some things that I really appreciated about the book. There were other conclusions that I went, okay, I, I'm having a problem with that. When he uses the phrase, we need to unhook the, the gospel and or unhitch, yeah, yeah, unhitch the gospel from the Old Testament. And again, I, you're right, we don't need to go into all of that. But that sounds I like find that myself, sounds like that sounds like it'd be a good um, a good topic for another podcast. Whole we should episode. review that absolutely. Matter of fact, if you want to hear us review that, uh, write into bqa at creationtoday.org. And let us know if you'd like to hear that as just a complete unpackaging. Because at the same time, this morning, guess what I got in the mail? I don't know. You're not uh, publisher, Publisher's Clearinghouse. Not Publisher's <laughs> Clearinghouse. I got a book that was just sent out to 266,000 oh, I I, I, churches. I know what it is. I know what it is. In America. Yeah, it's called uh, Gospel Reset. And Gospel Reset. Yeah, by Ken Ham. Um, my Ken Ham. That's right. And his, I, I feel like I'm, I just read Andy Stanley's Irresistible. Now I'm reading Gospel Reset, and I go, these are basically saying the exact opposite thing about how to reach the culture. I thought you were going to say the exact same thing. Oh, <laughs> you're thinking, no, they're not. They're cut, not saying cut, the same cut, thing. Cut this <laughs> Oh, uh, I was going to be in trouble at work if that's what you had to say. <laughs> Well, we'll cover that in, a, in another episode because uh, I do find the topic interesting as we look at our approach to how do we approach today's culture? How do we approach the millennials that don't trust the Bible? How do we talk to them and how do we approach them? So you're right. Maybe that'll be another uh, uh, episode. But And we still got some more questions to get to. But here's my verse for you. Because I hear you, I hear First uh, Corinthians 15, 21 through 23, 24, 25, all that where... Like if they if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. It's all futile. It's all nothing. So yeah, twelve I love through twenty. Yep, twelve through twenty-one. Yep, twelve through twenty-one. Yes. Okay. So what about the passage that says, "I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities, you know, da 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 da, all these things, nothing will ever be able to separate me from the love of God." Is which, that spoken from the love confidence? of God? The love love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have the passage open here in front of me. And yeah, it's Romans 8, brain, so. Romans 8, 38 uh, yes. and 39, yeah. So I'm persuaded that nothing can set me, separate me from... Does saying, well, hey, you show me the body, means, oh, I could be separated. No, because remember who, who wrote that. That's Paul. Um, and what did he see? The risen body. But yeah, he saw the risen Lord, so he, know, he, he knew Jesus rose from the dead. So there was no doubt in his mind that that Christianity was true. He knew that the foundation of his faith was solid. He knew that, um, you know, but Christ has been risen from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who rise. from. The That's what he continues on in 1 Corinthians 15, after that list of all those verses that talk about if he hadn't, hasn't uh, been raised. But then he goes, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. So he, he knows that, and he knows there's nothing that can separate 
him from Christ Jesus, from the, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I, I think they go hand in hand. Um, it's, it wasn't Paul, think about it. Paul didn't say, because I have an inerrant book, this is why. It's because he knows uh, his Redeemer lives. Um, but it's not an either or. Like sometimes it's portrayed maybe. I don't know if Andy Stanley means to portray it that way, but that's how it comes across sometimes. We, we it have, does feel like that. Yeah, yeah he, he did in the book say that, you know, sometimes we ought, to, we ought to take people straight to Jesus and John and Luke and, you know, the people that were there said, hey, you know, you don't say because the Bible says so. Say because John, who saw him, you know, saw the resurrected Jesus. He testified to this. And it kind of leads into our next question. Okay. Uh, but because I do, I like that that understanding at the same time I go, you look at somebody who saw, saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did Peter say about, about the, the, the scriptures? He's, I mean, here he saw with his own eyes, just like Paul saw. Yeah. And he said, we have something even more sure. Yeah. We have more sure word prophecy. That? Yeah. That's the prophecy. That's the scripture. We, we are even more sure than what our eyes have told us. And I, that is another passage to me that comes to mind where I go, We've really got to hold Scripture in high regard. Yeah, I think that we do. And again, we can probably spend the entire episode just on this one topic. But um, I think it would be fun maybe to examine this in more detail on another show. Because okay. we have other uh, things we want to cover. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Because there's so many thoughts running through my mind right now that I want to keep going. But all right. We'll, well, I got yeah. one to ask you real quick. Oh, no. I'm going to spring this on you if that's all right. Um, all right. So, Eric, um, your trick question. Um, what do you working on lately you know we you and i talked about <laughs> we talked about doing a, a segment on the show where we'd have like a featured product well we haven't yeah. done that yet and we're we haven't quite coming up we haven't come up with the jingle or anything if we're going to do that but um, no big sponsors yet yeah no big there we go so um just for our first featured product if you will or, or what, what have you been working on lately tell them a little bit well, we just released last November Genesis Paradise Lost, and we've been just starting to get it out into film festivals and DVDs. And I happened, because I just took some video of this for our website, I happen to have right here on the desk uh, the Genesis Paradise Lost movie. And I just got back from Ontario, Canada, where we won the Best Documentary Award. Uh, best Picture went to I Can Only Imagine. And Cindy Bond and her company did that. And then uh, Best Documentary went to Genesis Paradise Lost. So huge shout out to Ralph Streen, the director and the producer, who worked tirelessly on this to bring creation to life for you guys. You're Don't not, you experience creation? Yeah, you're not kidding. Six years tires, tirelessly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and both. You saw the little room that he worked in. I did, it yeah. It was a closet that he was in for six, I'm serious, six years yeah. of, of making this to bring Genesis to life for you. Uh, so thank you, Ralph. Really appreciate it. And of course, the other producer, Bill Harity, really excited and thankful for the work that he's done. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, it, just, it wasn't as much as Ralph, Bill. You and I both know that, okay? <laughs> Let's just admit it. Ralph works the hardest. Uh, but right now we're working on the small group series to go along with that um, uh, lost and go through lost history, lost uh, the lost time, the lost truth, uh, lost meaning, lost. So anyway, we've got a lot of lot of things we're working on. And you got one more. Group. I saw an, an announcement just the other day that you made. So what, that is... The uh, GrandCanyonMovie.com. Yeah. That, really excited about that. That looks I pretty exciting. I take trips every year to the Grand Canyon. If you want to check out, i got a little three-minute video on GrandCanyonMovie.com's website. kind of pitches just the concept of what I'm trying to do and how we can show the gospel with millions of people that visit the Grand Canyon every year. And so you got to take exciting. me next year. Let's do it, baby. Yeah, there we hey, go. Hey, I just scheduled it. It's uh, June... 
Seventh through the ninth information is not yet on the website, but I just scheduled that right after my birthday. That stinks. I'm going to be washing my hair. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to go to Grand Canyon as bad as I thought you did. No, I do. (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, sounds exciting. All right. So. All right, question. Yep. Here's another one because this is good. And and like I said, this leads right into it when when you think of what we need to talk about later with Andy Stanley saying, hey, say, because John said or because Matthew said, People go, well, okay, well, what about outside the Bible? Are there authentic secular writings about Jesus? And Jason is actually the one that asked this question. So, Jason, thanks for the question. Yeah. Uh, Tim, tell me what you think, man. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I don't think that one came from Jason being skeptical. Uh, You know, sometimes skeptics will ask that question. In fact, they ask that one a lot. Uh, They'll just say, the Bible's the only source for the life of Jesus. And and since those writers had an agenda, you can't trust them because, you know, they're going to try to push their religious beliefs. And so you got to find somebody who is neutral, somebody who who doesn't have this bias and listen to them. Well, are you going to be able to find somebody who doesn't have a bias for or against Jesus during that time period? Uh, you got to start with that. But not only that, a lot of these skeptics who are making these claims, who are saying there's no... Uh, secular writings about Jesus. There's no writings outside of the Bible about Jesus. Aren't don't they have a bias to <laughs> to try to disprove Scripture or try to say that the Bible's got errors? So because they have a bias, should we just say, well, we can't listen to them either? It isn't about whether you have a bias or not, because we all have one. It's about what's true, what's real. And let me give you an example of a a, a couple of quotes from skeptics. Here's from the film Zeitgeist. And uh, this is one that I'm not in Christians. You don't need to watch this film, although maybe you might want to see the ideas that are out there. Uh, Bill Maher pretty much just copied a lot of the ideas from this movie for his movie Religulous. And you hear the same sort of claims from skeptics. But here's what they said in the Zeitgeist movie. Furthermore, is there any non-biblical historical evidence of any person living with the name Jesus, the son of Mary, who traveled about with 12 followers, healing people and the like? There are numerous historians who lived in and around the Mediterranean either during or soon after the assumed life of Jesus. How many of these historians document such a figure? Not one. Or, I'm sorry, document this figure. Not one. Uh, So that's a Zeitgeist film. Here's what a guy named Jim Walker, he did an article, did a a historical Jesus exist. He said... Well, well, hang on. I mean, that's very dogmatic of them to say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's going to be another one here that's very similar. And we'll put the the slides that I've got here, we'll put those up if you're watching this on video video on YouTube. uh, You'll be able to read along with me. Um, So here's another guy that says, Devastating to historians, there occurs not a single contemporary writing that mentions Jesus. All documents about Jesus came well after the life of the alleged Jesus from either unknown authors, people who had never met an earthly Jesus, or from fraudulent, mythical, or allegorical writings. Where are all the contemporary sources for the life of Jesus? You can't count the Bible, there's that statement, because they all had an agenda and the Gospels were written a generation or two later. Why didn't any Roman or Jewish historians write about him? So the first thing I do when I hear this question, besides pointing out that they have an obvious bias, is notice how they're saying, look, there's a lot of historians who lived at that time. A lot of them lived in the Mediterranean. Why didn't they write about Jesus? I'll say, can you name somebody who was a historian at that time who should have written about Jesus and didn't? <laughs> it's kind of putting, turning it right back around. Well, it is. And, and, and you want to know what the answer is? Yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm assuming they can't name any one of them, Here, but I'm curious. Here's the answer. We've got to insert cricket sounds. <laughs> um, but actually, uh, I've asked this question multiple times of, of several skeptics. One 
person. Um, in fact, uh, I think it was his name's Christopher. He's written a, one of the questions for our show. In fact, I think it's the next question. Um, he he gave me the names of two people. Uh, so credit to uh, Christopher for actually trying to come up with somebody. So here's the first one. He said Marcus Valeus Paterculus. He he wrote a history that covered the time from the Trojan War, which is from the 12th 13th century BC to the death of Livia in AD 29. So right up to the time of Jesus is what he's writing to. Um, but he's writing from Rome. Um, and he died in AD 31. So right in like the middle of Jesus's ministry. Why would he write about a Jewish rabbi whose ministry was just getting started 1400 miles away? Yeah, word really started spreading when he rose from the dead. I mean, it was spreading before that, but the whole resurrection thing it kind of took off pretty quick after. Yeah, before that, he was more of a um, you know messianic figure. Like a lot of the some of the Jews were being persuaded that hey, maybe he's our Messiah. But from a, a national you know an international perspective, no, he he didn't really go. In fact, he never really went outside of Israel other than when he was just a an infant going down to Egypt. Otherwise, his ministry focused on Israel. Um, so why would Paterculus, who dies a couple of years before Jesus? dies and rises from the dead. Why would he be writing about Jesus? It doesn't even make any sense. So he's not a good example. So he gave me the name of another guy named Memnon of Heraclea. Now he wrote a history of his city, which is Heraclea Pontica, uh, which is in modern Northwest Turkey, and the tyrants who ruled over his city or his village. Um, we don't know exactly when he wrote. It could have been the early first century AD. It could have been second century. It could have been first. We, we don't really know for sure. But why would he write about a Jewish rabbi a thousand miles away when he focused a history on his little town? And those are the only names I've gotten so far. Oh. So Memnon of Heraclea and Marcus Paterculus. So if there's so many different historians who lived in and around the Mediterranean during the time of Jesus' ministry that should have been writing about him but didn't, who are they? Because you know what we find is all the people who should have written about him did. They did, yeah. Um, now, so as long as you discount all of the ones who should have and did, right. then you come up with nobody did. So let's deal with some of these. Now, people say you can't trust the Bible because these, these guys are biased. Well, here's the here's the issue. The claim that these guys are making is that Jesus didn't even exist. It's not that he didn't do all of these things. Or I don't know that I could trust all the miracle stories. But yeah, there was probably a guy. Some of these skeptics are saying he didn't even exist. So are Matthew, Mark, Luke... John, Paul, James, Peter, Jude. That's eight different sources in the New Testament. Are they all just making this up? Everything? Yeah. I, I mean, it's one thing to claim that they made up the miracle stories or the, the resurrection or something, but it's another thing to claim that they're inventing an entire person. Yeah. <laughs> but So it's not just one source you have to deny. You have to deny eight early sources who knew him or met him. And several of them, all of them, but but one walked around with two, but two, Luke and Paul, walked around with him and talked with him and and lived with him for some time. So, yeah, they may have had a bias, but it isn't whether they're biased. It's are they telling us the truth? And what we've seen over and over again is the Bible is reliable. But let's talk about some of the secular writers. That was the the question. Well, the first one, I don't know if that is fair to call him secular, but Josephus <laughs> wrote about Jesus. Now Christians usually will go right to Josephus and say, well, what about him? He wrote about Jesus. And the, the problem with that is there's two statements that Josephus makes, and one of them has been called into question. So he was a Jewish general who was captured during the revolt against the Romans, and he records the history of the Roman conquest of Israel, which happened in AD 70 in the, in the years leading up to that. 
And then he wrote a history of the Jewish people. But here's what he wrote about Jesus. He, he's talking about James. And he says, James is called the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ. So, um, so he writes about James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ. He, now, Josephus is not saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, but he's saying that he was called that. And that one really hasn't been called into question by scholars. They don't doubt that he wrote about James and identified him as the brother of Jesus. Now, here's a statement that gets called into question a lot. And if you pick up a book on Josephus, translated into English, you're probably going to find this statement. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. He appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. Does that sound like something a Jewish man who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah would say? You would never say he rose from the dead three days later. I mean, that was the, and, that was the taboo. And, that was you can't go right, there. And he was the Christ. So it sounds like some later Christian embellished the writings of Josephus. But here's what scholars have done. They've gone back and they looked at the different versions that we have of Josephus, even in the different languages, and they've pieced together what they think is probably what he said. And so here's the statement. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among the Jews and many of, the, of Greek origin. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, amongst us, condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. So he's still writing about Jesus, and he's still saying things that are consistent with what the New Testament says, but he's not saying, I believe these things happen. He's just saying, here's what's reported. Um, so you can't just say Josephus never wrote about him or, or throw the statement out because there's been question. It's been called into question on certain elements. He's still writing about Jesus. Now, Josephus lived uh, like immediately after the time of Christ. He was born shortly within a few years after Jesus' death. So he's somebody who is very close to being a contemporary and he's living among the Jews. Uh, another a uh, historian is, uh, is named Thallus. He wrote in Greek, and he uh, flourished around the uh, mid-50s, so within 20 years or so of the resurrection. He wrote a three-volume history of the world. Unfortunately, the, his writings are lost other than being quoted by Julius Africanus. And here's what he said. On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake. The many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. This darkness, Thallus, in the third book of his history, called, as appears to me, without reason, an eclipse of the sun. So Thallus is trying to make sense of the uh, the darkness on the land while Jesus is on the cross. So what is he... In the middle of the day. Yeah, in the middle wow. of the day. So he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the darkness on the land. But he gives it a bad explanation. It wasn't an eclipse. Now, uh, Eric, did you get to see the eclipse last year? I did. Right, yeah, it was right around this time. I think it was in August, so like 13 months ago. Um, I wasn't in the path of totality. I wish I would have been. But um, it, it's only dark for two to three minutes, right. not three hours. And there's a bigger problem because the crucifixion occurred at Passover, which means that it was during a full moon. In order to have an eclipse like that during the day, it has to be a new moon. So it's at the wrong time of the month by two weeks. So it was not, a, it was not an eclipse that God used to bring darkness about the land. It was something that was... He did it uh, probably supernaturally like he did with Egypt where he put darkness on the land for, for a few days. So there's three already. I'm going just the concept of are there external books 
I love what you're saying. You got to discount all the ones that we do have from the Yeah, market. well, we got more. Um, that, <laughs> we got... How, how many are well, there? Well, let, let, me, let me read a few more statements. Plenty of the younger. We'll, we'll okay. zip through some of these and people can follow along on the slide. He's a Roman author, lived, born in AD 61 and dies in 112. He served as the governor of Bithynia in, in, in Asia Minor. Uh, he's the nephew of Pliny the Elder. You might wonder why he's Pliny the Younger. And he's he recognized as one of the world's greatest letter writers. He says, they, talking about Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to, not to any wicked deeds but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of the food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. So what did he say? He said that the early Christians were worshiping Christ as... God. Yeah. And so for the people who, and and actually living out, it sounds to me like they were loving one another. That's what Jesus said. To <laughs> right. Them. So he's saying that they're not all these bad people like um, uh, some people have accused them of being, and they are they're worshiping this person called Christ as a god. Um, so this isn't something that developed decades and centuries later, like the skeptics are claiming today. How about Tacitus, a Roman historian who lived through the reigns of over six emperors? Uh, from AD 55 through 120. He's the greatest historian of ancient Rome, and he's known for his moral integrity. So here's what he said. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class of a, on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, that's Latin for Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Where have we heard that before? And a most mischievous, uh, mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Um, maybe he was talking about Washington, D.C. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but look what he says. He was killed, the most, what do you call it? The uh, extreme penalty, that's crucifixion, at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And so this mischievous superstition was checked for a little while, then it broke out again. Why? Well, why do we think it broke out again? Because he rose from the dead. Now, Tacitus didn't say that, but what he says is perfectly consistent. And so he says, accordingly, an arrest was made upon made of all who pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude of convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city uh, as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses. So those are the things Nero did to them. He blamed them for burning the city uh, when Nero himself is really the one who who likely did it. And um, he did it so that he could blame the Christians and then do all sorts of terrible things. He said, or they were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle and was exhibiting a show in the circus while he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or stood aloft on a cart. Hence, even criminals who deserved extreme and exemplary punishment, there arose a feeling of compassion, for it was not, as it seemed, for the public good, but to glut one man's cruelty that they were being destroyed. So that's Tacitus. Uh, Suetonius, who lived in, from AD 69 to 130, the chief secretary of Emperor Hadrian and had access to the imperial records, he said, because the Jews at Rome caused continuous disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he expelled them from the city. Again, it's just a misspelling of a misspelling of Christus, which is the Latin name for Jesus or for Christ. 
Um, after the great fire at Rome, punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, a sect professing a new and mischievous religious belief. Lucian in the eight, in the second century A.D. Um, he's a Greek satirist, uh, and he said that he criticized Christians for being gullible people. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, this, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. All this they take quite on faith, with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. So there's a bunch of secular writers, well-known popular historians of the time, who wrote about Jesus, who were within the first few generations after Jesus. What what else do the skeptics want? <laughs> so, Jason, the short answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty. That's amazing. That really is cool. I mean, to... To just hear one quote after another after another external from the scriptures, which is what I'm most familiar with, uh, that's, I don't know, to me that's encouraging. It's a, it's faith building. It's, I, I know it's true, but it's like, I, yep, I really, really know it's true. You know, I re- everything keeps confirming and, and just going right along with what, what we've been, yeah, we, been told. Yeah, and we find this. the same thing to be true with archaeology and other fields. It's just when the Bible tells us something, a lot of times the skeptics will come up with some wild claim, and then we find out, you know what, even history or even archaeology, even science confirms these things that the Bible has talked about all along. And yet they treat the Bible as if it is guilty until proven innocent rather than innocent until proven guilty. And uh, what we've seen is the Bible stands the test of time, and uh, it's been accurate, and it will always be accurate. So, Eric, it looks... Well, I love Yeah, that. I do too. We are... Um, I can't believe it took us this long just to answer those two questions. Uh, we wanted to... Well, there's so much information there, and I, I do love this podcast because we can just... We'll put this next one off because it's, it's one about... Uh, a, a question about should the woman caught in adultery be in the Bible? It's not in all the manuscripts, da da da. Okay, so what's the truth about that? Right, so you'll, we'll and you'll even see that in a lot of Bibles. We'll, we'll talk more about this in the next episode. Um, it, uh, it, you'll see right at the beginning of that account in many Bibles, say the earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not include John 753 through 811. Um, and, but it will still have the text there and it just brackets that. And I think a lot of Christians are confused by that or they, they don't even see it. You know, they just read past it. Um, but that's, it's an important question. D- did it really happen? Does it belong there? Did John write it? Um, wh- what's going on? What are, what are the issues at stake here? So we'll, we'll cover that one in the next episode. Another question that came in that we need to cover later is, uh, what about the gap theory? Does the Genesis chapter one, does it teach a gap, uh, in there? So we got several questions to answer. And of course, we want to know what questions are burning, burning a hole in your mind going, I got to know this about the Bible. So if you got questions, send them in to BQA. That just stands for Bible Question and Answer. BQA at creationtoday.org. And we'd love, love, love to answer your questions. Tim, I love this. This is educational for me, man. I appreciate it. I'm happy to do it and I'm having a good time so far. Three episodes we've made it through so far. Can you believe it? This is intense, man. This is intense. All right. Episode four is going to be thrilling when we get I that one. I think so. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org. 
The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.